Well, good morning, Redeemer. It's a great joy to be together in the house of the Lord, even with some of those little white flurries coming down. Uh, wow, first one of the season. It's uh, beautiful, but uh, Thursday being 76 degrees, it's a bit of a contrast. So, But uh, we're blessed, whatever the Lord provides. So um, as we begin this morning, just want to uh, welcome those that are visiting with us, and uh, so glad that you can be here as well, and we just hope to connect with you uh, after the service, during our coffee time, we'd love to meet you. Uh, another way that we um, are asking you to make your presence known to us is just by texting the word welcome to that number that's on the screen. Uh, if you don't prefer using the digital stuff and you rather use paper, there's a connect card that's in the uh, pocket in front of you. Uh, just fill that out as much as you're comfortable and put it in the offering plate, and then it just helps us know that you were here and gives us the opportunity to uh, get to know you a little bit better. We have a, a number of activities in our Redeemer Life uh, newsletter. It's over by the Welcome Center if you don't uh, have that. And I uh, would love for you to get to know more of those things. Uh, we have our annual um, thank offering. Uh, more information is in Redeemer Life about that. Uh, today we do have our Sunday school classes. Um, so that also means our inquirers class is meeting in Pastor Jeff's office. Um, I'll be leading that one for this particular Sunday. So Pastor Jeff will be leading adult Sunday school. Um, and then uh, also coming up on Wednesday, November 23rd, is our Thanksgiving Eve service. And uh, it's a wonderful opportunity to come together uh, to just hear uh, what God has been doing in one another's lives and to give him uh, all the thanks and praise. Uh, I am looking for some. I do have one, uh, but looking for a couple of more to just kind of begin uh, the, the three different sections that we have. And so maybe there's something that you are just really rejoicing about and you just want to share very briefly uh, with people <clears throat> what that rejoicing is about for this year. And uh, you want to um, talk to me about that after the service. I'd love to uh, have you begin that one portion of time. Or maybe there's something that you've gone through that is just, you're still going through it. It's, it's not solved. It's not something that is, is taken care of. It's still a burden that you bear. And yet, um, you know the Lord is at work in the midst of that. And that's something that you'd be willing to share publicly. We'd love to hear more about that as well if you're willing to to begin that time also. Uh, so we have uh, one more announcement. Uh, Steve um, <clears throat> Hill is going to come up and give a report about what happened on Saturday. Welcome. Good morning. How many of you prayed for Food Pantry? I think everybody did because all of your prayers were answered. It was un. Believable. We served 19 families, 68 individuals in an hour. It was insane. <laughs> it was wonderful. The first 10 um, received full Thanksgiving meals, uh, even homemade pies. It was wonderful. Um, and with that blessing um, comes a problem. <laughs> Our food pantries depleted badly. And uh, we believe that our next food pantry for December is going to be even greater because of Christmas. Uh, so we would ask you to pray through, think through uh, what you might be able to donate. We need everything. It doesn't matter what it is. Um, there's no specific this month. We need, we need everything from PB&J to refried beans. We need everything. So if you could be prayerfully considering that, we would, we would very much appreciate that. Um, just one little tidbit from, 
from food pantry in. It's hard when, you, when you're not there and sometimes you miss that connection of that it's actually people that we're serving. There was a, a mom that was coming through the line and um, um, receiving gifts, your gifts. Came to the end of the line and there was toilet paper. And she started weeping and she says, now I don't have to ask my kids to bring toilet paper home from school. You impact this community, and we thank you. We thank you for that. God bless you. We gather in the name of the Lord Jesus this morning to exalt that name. And, uh, you know, when we think about our maybe favorite athlete or team, you know, we exalt those names so easily and so quickly. And yet when we think about the holiness of Jesus and the, the worthiness uh, that he has to be exalted, uh, we come before our holy God. The psalmist uh, reminds us, Uh, In Psalm 103, he says, sorry, not Psalm 103, wrong one, Psalm 33, behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Well, let us lift high the name of Jesus as we stand together.
Most gracious God, we come singing of your glory because you alone are worthy to have your name exalted, for us to meditate upon your character, to meditate upon what you have done for sinners like us through Jesus Christ. And Lord, we pray that you would draw us near to yourself, that you would work in our hearts, that you would guard us from all distractions, that you would enable our hearts to draw near to you, that we would humble ourselves before your greatness, and that we would know what your love truly is by faith as your word goes forth, Lord, that you would shape and mold us more and more in the image of Christ, that we would declare from our hearts, my God, how wonderful thou art. Amen. think about the awesome power of our God, the one who spoke and the universe came into existence. That is the sovereign and omnipotent God that we come before at this time to confess to him, the one who knows our hearts. He is omniscient. He knows everything that we've ever thought, said, or done. Whether anybody else was looking or not, he is always seeing. Now, as terrifying as that is, he has also promised to be with us always to the very end of the age. And so we come before him to confess uh, together. Uh, we're going to have a unison confession from uh, Psalm 80, verses 14 to 19, and then um, a time for private personal uh, repentance. So let us confess now together as we pray. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted, and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. 
They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the Son of Man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we may be saved. Amen. Let us take this time in silence. Father, you, you know our hearts. You know whether we are contrite, whether we are saying the same thing we normally say, whether we are just waiting for the next step. Lord, you know what is needed for us to turn away from a life directed by ourselves to one that is solely directed by you. We pray that you would turn us from any other hope, from any other confidence, from any other promise to your promises, to the hope that is in Christ and to the grace that is found in you alone. And we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. And the Lord offers to us his assurance of pardon from Psalm 103. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He, want, he will not always chide nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love to those who fear him. And let us rejoice together. How blessed is he whose trespasses we stand together.
Let us give thanks to God. Father, we thank you that we indeed can rejoice. We thank you for bringing us here this morning to worship you and to sing songs of praise to you. Father, we thank you for this place, for this community of believers, and we thank you for uh, the work that was done yesterday morning uh, to serve uh, our community and those in need. And we pray, Lord, that as they received uh, gifts uh, from this church, that they also uh, would see Jesus and his love uh, for them, uh, shown uh, through those who serve them. And we thank you, Lord, for your goodness to us. We thank you for uh, your word. And as we read a portion of Psalm 103, Lord, we just thank you for uh, that beautiful uh, section of scripture. Uh, we thank you, Lord, for your benefits. We thank you that you forgive all our iniquity and that you heal all our diseases. We thank you that you redeem our life and that you crown us with your steadfast love and mercy. Father, we thank you that you are merciful and gracious, that you are slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. We thank you that you do not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Father, we thank you for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ, that we can come and stand before a holy God, redeemed and saved. Thank you, Lord, for your precious gift of your Son. And we thank you for the good news of the gospel that we can share with others. As we spend time with family in the coming weeks and months, we just pray, Lord, that we would seize those opportunities uh, to share the good news of Jesus, that we would uh, be able to give a good account uh, for what you have done in our lives. And we thank you, Lord, that we have good news to share. We pray that you would be with Pastor DeBoer this morning as he comes and brings your word. We pray, Lord, that you would fill him with the power of the Spirit, that he would recall all that he has studied. And uh, we pray, Lord, that uh, by the power of the Spirit that we would hear from you today. We thank you for the Spirit working in our lives, that we can hear your word and that we can respond to you, Lord. We thank you for changed hearts and lives. And we thank you for the many gifts that you have given us, Lord. And as we look to uh, give back a portion of that which you have given to us, we pray that these gifts may be used to further your kingdom here in our community and to the ends of the earth. And we ask all this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.
I'd like you to join with me in praying this morning. Just uh, a couple of things to say to you before we begin praying. This is the time where we spend time praying for members of our congregation and our community as a whole. Uh, Last Sunday morning before we prayed, um, I noted to you that the following Tuesday we were going to have an election, and of course that election occurred. And I want to say just a little bit to you about the results of that election. Um, this is not a political, uh, a political uh, talk. It's simply to say to you that the man who came to speak to us from um, PRC released a video in which he talked about the results of the election, especially Proposition 3, which is primarily a moral or even religious issue. And maybe after the election you wonder to yourself, now what? The proposition passed, and now the right to abortion is constitutional in the state of Michigan. In just a moment, we're going to pray for our country, and I'd ask you to do the same, not just while we're praying here this morning, but also during your times of personal as well as family prayer. And I also want you to pray for your neighbors, because the people who vote are the people who are around you. And if you don't know your neighbors well enough so that you can pray with them or pray for them, with some degree of, uh, of intelligence, please get to know them. The second thing I want you to pray for is pray for those organizations in our community like PRC, that is the Pregnancy Resource Center. Uh, watch the video that they released and then pray and contribute where possible to the work that they are doing. Their work is going to continue to be vital for our community. And then three other things I want to note to you. These are going to be a little more shocking. I've been praying this week that some of you, the Lord would lay on your heart to run for office. I'm not saying which office, office, any office, but this is a time in which Christians and our contribution to our society seems particularly important. I want to also encourage you to learn about what it means to be reformed and politically involved. We have a long and deep history in the Calvinist tradition of being involved in politics. I wonder sometimes if we remember that tradition and if we understand what it means to be politically involved while also being distinctively committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what that means, I'd love to point you in that direction. And then finally, and this is perhaps most challenging of all, I want you to consider, pray, that maybe for some of us in this congregation, we would consider fostering or even adopting a child. That's not a mark of higher Christianity by any respect. I don't mean to say that it is. But what I do mean to say is that in our community, there are children who are not cared for and are not loved by a family or they're not being raised to know their creator. And if the Lord would place it on your heart or the heart of your family to support or to care specifically for a child who needs to be fostered or adopted, Would you be open your heart? Would you open your heart and your home to do precisely that? Would you turn with me in prayer? Our Father in heaven, the one about the psalmist, about whom the psalmist says, you rule from heaven above, and you ask in the second psalm, why do the nations rage? Why do they roar against you? You are the one who sits enthroned above heaven. There is no power this earth knows that is in competition with you. There is no no king, there is no ruler, there is no governor, there is no president, there is no senator or representative 
whose power does not exist apart from you. You are the one to whom we turn. You are the one who governs this earth. You are the one who brings the events of this world to pass, either in our own lives or in this church or in our community and our government. And we believe that the events of this past week, every one of them, from the joys and the sorrows, belong to you. And we are grateful to come here this morning and to turn to you in prayer, to celebrate you, to be thankful to you, to give praise to you. Because if it were not for you as God, not just the joys, but especially the sorrows would not have meaning. We would be, as many are, frustrated, maybe even desperate, in some, co- in some cases, almost to the point of despair, because the same things that they see going on in their own lives and in the world around seem to be overwhelming. But when we turn to you, when we know that you are God, then we also know that the events of our lives, in whatever place we see them, are also meant for good. It is to say that our story, individually and corporately, is part of a much larger story that is the redemption of Jesus Christ that He is working into this world. May we not lose sight of that. Forgive us when in the moments of our lives or in our observation of the course of human history, we lower our eyes and we fail to see that Jesus Christ is King and He is ruling over this world. We pray for specifically for our country this morning. We did last week and we do again this morning. We come to you because you ask us to pray for kings and rulers and those who are in authority over us that we may, may, may have safety and freedom in the world in which we live. And we do ask for that this morning. We pray that you would grant that freedom to us as a church and as individuals that we would be free And we would be unconstrained in the proclamation of Jesus Christ. But it is not only the gospel, it is the implication of the gospel, the ruling of Jesus Christ that we long to proclaim. That our Savior not only saves us from death into life, He also saves us to a life of freedom. And we pray that each person here would know that. That we would know the shackles of sin being released, that we are no longer bound to sin. Instead, we are free to live after Jesus. And we pray that our primary existence in this community would be one of that witness. Not anger, not frustration, not belittling, not yelling, not screaming, but one in which, with confidence, we look at both ourselves and our world as a place in which Jesus is at work. We prayed last Sunday in this moment for the elections, and we prayed specifically for the care that might be expressed for children who are not born in our community. We pray for this among a variety of issues that matter in life, but this one seems to matter in its own particular way. Because, Lord, you have said in your commandments that it is wrong to take the life of someone who does not deserve it, to take a life unjustly. And, Father, that's what's happening in our world. And when the Israelites observed that in their own community and in the world around, you brought condemnation on the nations and especially your people for not protecting and caring for those who are most vulnerable. And we pray, Lord, in this time that you would make your church the place where those who are uncared for, those who have nowhere else to turn, those who seem unloved, those who have no resources, 
those who seem at the end of themselves, that you would bring them into the orbit of this congregation and other Bible-believing churches, that we may have the joy of serving those whom our Savior served when He walked on this earth. We pray for women who are struggling with carrying pregnancies to term. We pray for the children that they carry. We pray for the children who are born. We pray for families. We pray for those who are single. We pray for our culture as a whole. Father, each one of them exists by your strength and your power. And we pray that you would lay it in the hearts of those in this congregation, not only to vote and to speak about those matters that matter most to you, but Lord, give us even the ability to give of ourselves, even when it hurts, for those things that matter to you. Father, I've challenged this congregation. And Lord, I would pray that the challenge that comes from my mouth would be from you. It would not simply be the reflections that I have had upon this past week, but it would be consistent with what you desire for your church and for this particular congregation. We are grateful for the people who are sitting around us, in front of us, behind us, to the sides of us. Even if there are people we've never met until this morning, we are grateful that this community exists and that Jesus says that they would know that we are followers of Jesus by the love we have for one another. May that be demonstrated here, both in this service and after the service is finished. May it be shown in the way that we care for each other outside of the service. I rejoice, Lord, in so many ways in which that is happening already. Cause that to increase and to spill out into our neighborhoods, into our city, and into our state, into our world. That it would be true, as the Bible says, that we have been called to love God above all else, our neighbor as ourselves, and the world would know that is true by their observation of what they see that we do. In order for that to occur, Lord, we need your help. We need to be strengthened in our inner, inner being, as the apostle says. Otherwise, we will draw on resources that are incapable of sustaining our walking after you. And so in your kindness to us, you've brought us to your word this morning because we need to hear about Jesus again. Jesus is the one who by his spirit can equip us and strengthen us to do the work that you have called us in this world, whether it's in our families, in our communities, in our jobs, in our volunteering, whatever it is, we need the strength of Jesus to work through us. And we pray this morning you would do exactly that. We pray for those who are on our prayer list. We pray for each one of them that they would know also the strength of Jesus Christ, whether it is in joy or in sorrow. We thank you for new life with the Thompson family. We rejoice, Lord. We rejoice, Lord, that you have blessed this family in our church, and we pray for others who are likewise expecting children. We pray for those who have gone through surgeries or are remembering those who have recently died. Be very close to them as well. And Father, we bring all of this to you because we trust that you hear us and that you have brought each one of us to this place this morning in order to hear what is about to be said Father, open my mouth and open our ears, open our hearts together to receive the truth of your word. For we ask this in Jesus' name, amen. The word is at the center of who we are as human beings, but especially it becomes clear when we are in worship that the word is at the center of who we are. And this morning we're going to continue in 
the book of John. The book of John was written to answer the question, who is Jesus? And not just to answer that question, but to compel you to believe. If this sermon does not tug at your heart in some way, if it does not compel you to listen and to consider Jesus, the sermon is a failure. The reason I say that is because John says that's the reason he writes. And that is also the reason I speak to you this morning, beginning with the Word of God from John chapter 3. We'll be reading verses 22 through 30. Hear the Word of God. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Aon near Salim because water was plentiful there, and the people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. This is the word of the Lord. May he bless it this morning as I preach it to you. On January 23rd of this coming year, our church will be hosting a one-day conference for pastors and their wives. It is entitled, Walking with Your Congregation Without Losing Yourself. That topic is very important, and I want you, if you are able, to invite pastors that you know to come. But there's a reason why I'm telling you about it now. And I want to reference the April edition of Christianity Today that was published just a few months ago. In that particular edition of the magazine, there is an article in which the writer talks about the great quit that he had observed in most American workers post-pandemic. Uh, post Many of you are part of businesses. Maybe you own a business or you're a worker who has changed jobs or you've watched your employees change jobs. There's never been a point, as far as we can tell, in American history where more workers have changed jobs than in this last year. The writer says the same was expected by pastors post-pandemic. Many of them would quit. But here's the interesting thing. Although some did, most did not. In fact, the worry of the article is not that pastors are going to quit. No, the author says the worry is that there are full pulpits with empty pastors. The energy, the strength, the passion, these are now gone. And one of the big reasons for this full pulpit with empty pastors, one of the reasons that exists is disappointment. In the past three years in our congregation, we have seen a significant number of people leave and a significant number come. If you come in the last three years, welcome, glad you're here. 
but also know a significant number of people have left for a whole variety of reasons, many times unknown reasons to me. And you will know when people leave, the losses hurt. These are friends. These are people you know. You feel that. And so do I. I really feel it. But friends, one of the problem is not the losses, but the way that we perceive the losses. What if the losses in our lives of any sort hurt so badly, not simply because of the fractured relationships, but because of the shattered expectations? And if there is any place in the Bible where the centrality of Christ runs right into the expectations of ministry, it is here in this section from John chapter 3. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. That all Christian ministry must be about Jesus. That's not surprising. All Christian ministry must be about Jesus. Here's the surprising thing that becomes apparent in verses 22 to 30. Because all Christian ministry must be about Jesus, we can rejoice even when ministry decreases. Let me explain that to you, starting with that phrase that may be the most surprising. We can rejoice even when ministry decreases. And I want to jump into this section and explain to you what's happened, even if, happening, even if you've not been here before. Near the beginning of this chapter in John 3, there is the famous story about Nicodemus coming to Jesus because he has a question for him about this new birth. After Jesus answers that question... He takes his disciples into the countryside. It's not, in clear, it's not entirely clear from our translation. But the point that is being made at the beginning of our section in verse 22 is that Jesus goes into the countryside because he wants to spend time with his disciples. And in the same area in which Jesus goes to spend time with his disciples, there is John the Baptist with his disciples do you realize that early on in the Gospel of John, as much time is given to John the Baptist as is given to Jesus? He is that central of a character. And John the Baptist, as his name indicates, has been baptizing. And now he learns that Jesus is also. And an unknown Jew comes to John the Baptist's disciples with a question about purification. Really, it's about ritual purification, the kind of purification that existed in the Old Testament. The Jew wants to know about this ritual purification and how it applies to what he observes with John the Baptist and with Jesus. What does that ritual purification have to do with the baptism that these two men seem to be practicing. And it goes beyond just what's happening to who is doing the baptizing. Here's the question that John the Baptist's disciples ask in verse 26. They said, look, Rabbi, the one you talked about, this Jesus, is on the other side of the Jordan. He is also baptizing. And more importantly, people are going to him instead of to you. In fact, it looks like everybody's headed to Jesus instead of to you. You can imagine the question that John the Baptist's disciples intend to ask. It's not just a statement, all are going to him. Look, that's what they say at the end of verse 26. It is not a statement of mere information. More accurately, it is a statement of disappointment or even fear. 
They all have been going to you, John. Now look, they're going to Jesus instead. This is the kind of fear that a pastor might feel when he, he senses someone has not been in worship for a number of weeks and then he hears through the grapevine that they're considering going to a different church. It's that kind of fear. Or maybe it's a sort of fear that happens when the budget is lagging behind significantly. Or maybe it's the kind of fear that a pastor has when one pastor talks to another pastor and is humble bragging about how many people are coming to his church. This is the sort of fear that John the Baptist's disciples are communicating to John. It is a fear rooted in failure. It is a fear rooted in a lack of success. The impression that all the wrong things are happening and the right things are not. And you can totally understand why John the Baptist might be thinking, of the, thinking this. Before all the crowds were going to him. Now all the crowds are going to Jesus. Attendance is down at John the Baptist's baptism services. And they're up at Jesus's. How can that be good for John the Baptist? It is with that sort of picture in mind that we read verse 27. There John the Baptist says, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. Now let me just tell you this morning, that's totally true. No matter what you're experiencing in life. Not one thing can come to you, not one thing can you receive unless it is given to him from heaven, that is, from God himself. And if we can't rejoice even when ministry decreases, we must understand what John the Baptist is saying. The way he puts it makes it clear it is a general aphorism that is being applied to this situation. Let me read to you a little bit from Psalm 127. Because there that general aphorism about all of life is said very clearly. The psalmist says, unless the Lord builds the house, you know what the phrase is, those who labor, labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen watch in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early and to go to bed late, eating the boil, uh, the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. The critical words in Psalm 127 is this, unless the Lord. And that is very simply what John the Baptist is saying to his disciples. All of this, all of what I've experienced, all of my ministry is rooted in unless the Lord. If the Lord doesn't do it, if this does not come to me from heaven, in fact, there is nothing that comes to me apart from what God gives. Well, then listen, he says to his disciples, unless that is true, you will not be able to make sense of the reality that you're observing. This unless the Lord, again, applies not only to your life and your work and your finances and your friends and all of that, John the Baptist applies this general aphorism now to the church specifically. The gains and the losses, the successes and the failures, all of these, he, say, he says, comes from the hand of the Lord. I am not saying this morning that our work is not important. That's not the point that John the Baptist is making. It is important. Just not in the way that we imagine. We like to think that we put in a certain amount of effort and we get a direct response. 
John the Baptist is saying, that's not it. It is the Lord who chooses to bless in the time and the way that he determines. We work because we desire to serve this God, not because there are predictable, guaranteed outcomes. And if you're able to say with me, both in life and in the church, I cannot receive one thing unless it is given to me from heaven, then you can rejoice. You can rejoice in good times and bad when ministry is increasing. Praise the Lord. There are many instances of that we've observed in our body. Praise the Lord. And you can even praise God when ministry decreases. The other half of rejoicing when ministry decreases, I said at the beginning, is that this is possible only when that ministry is about Jesus. And this is the second thing I want to show you very clearly from this passage. This is the point that John the Baptist is making. His ministry is decreasing so that the ministry of Jesus can increase. And he is saying, I can view that with joy only because all of ministry is about Jesus. Maybe that sounds confusing to you, but let me explain. It is not enough, friend, for us to accept the decreases in life with a stiff stiff upper lip. That is not Christianity. Simply to accept it as true or to plow our way through it or to say it's fine or I can make it to the other side on my own. That's not Christianity. That's paganism. You don't need faith to accept that things are against you. You just need to be realistic. You need faith in order to believe that even in times of trouble, someone is for you because someone has the power and the grace in order to care for you. And friend, in order to hear what this passage says about accepting ministry decrease, we must also hear something else. The thing that I'm emphasizing to you now, all of ministry is about Jesus. Look at the point that the Baptist is making in verses 28 through 30. He says in verse 28, You yourselves bear witness that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who is the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. John the Baptist had been saying from the beginning that he was not the Christ, that he was pointing to one who was coming after him. You can see that in chapter 1, verse 20. You can see that again in chapter 1, verses 26 through 34. When people ask John the Baptist, who are you? Where did you come from? He said, I am not the Christ. In fact, I would be honored to unloose the sandal of the one who is the Christ. Don't look at me, look at Jesus. Now he compares his role to the best man at a wedding. You've all been to a wedding. There is the bride and the groom. The whole thing is about the bride and the groom. If I were to tell you this morning that the most important people were the best man and the attendants, you'd say to yourself, you don't understand the way weddings work. The best man is not the central character. But I want to show you that what John the Baptist says, using that language, would have communicated impressive things to these Israelites who were hearing him speak. 
Because what he is saying is rooted thoroughly in the Old Testament. And it specifically points us to the greatness of the Messiah. Let me read for you just one passage from Isaiah 62, verses 4 and 5. They're the Israelites who were in captivity were given these words from Isaiah. It says, You shall no longer be termed forsaken, and your land shall no more be termed, be termed desolate. But you shall be called, My delight is in her, and your land shall be called married. For the Lord delights in you. For as a young man marries a young woman, so shall your sons marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. You hear what the prophet is saying to these Israelites very clearly. He is saying to those who are listening here, the disciples of John the Baptist, he is saying to them, this prophecy from Isaiah 62 today is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus has come the one who is the groom looking to marry his bride, that's the one that's on the other side of the Jordan baptizing there. He is the one who can bring those who are forsaken and desolate to, the, to be in the place where they are delighted in, cared for, and belonging. He has arrived. Go to him, John the Baptist is saying. To put it more succinctly, the last prophet, John the Baptist, is saying in simple words, all of this is about Jesus. It's never been about my work. It's never been about me. That's not the point. It is the Messiah, the Messiah, the Messiah. And therefore, he can say in verse 29, my joy is complete now that Jesus has come. I may be decreasing as he is increasing, but my joy could never be fuller because Jesus has arrived. Would you confess with me this morning that often we do not want that to be true? Maybe I should just speak on my own behalf. If it came right down to it, I would much rather have the increase of my own ministry than the decrease of that ministry. And if my work decreases, I am far more grieved than I am filled with joy when I see the work of Jesus increasing in other places. But maybe you say to me, Pastor, it sounds like an artificial dilemma. It doesn't have to be one way or the other. Cannot your ministry increase as the ministry of Jesus is increasing? It can. In fact, it often does. In fact, I rejoice to stand before you this morning and to say, I see that happening, praise the Lord. This is not simply about what we can observe. John the Baptist is going much, much deeper. He is saying it goes to the heart of what we are expecting. He is saying that his joy in the centrality of Jesus is so important, it matters so much, that even if it were require him to give up all his ministry and all that mattered to him, if he became nothing, he would be fine with that in order for Jesus Christ to be exalted. What is important to him is not his role. That is whatever the role that Jesus has for him he is more than willing to embrace it 
with all that he has in order for Jesus to be exalted. Can I ask you this morning whether that is true for you? Is it true for me? Are we willing for our own places, maybe small kingdoms, to decrease in order for the kingdom of Christ to increase? If Jesus is the center of ministry, then I would say to you that is not only possible, it is also exactly what we ought to expect. That at places the Lord will disappoint us, the places in which we have placed our hope, where we had thought we would be happiest if these things occur. Instead, the Lord may very often bring into our life not just ministry-related, but in various places in our lives. Maybe we place our hope in our marriage. Maybe we place it in our health. Maybe we place it in our business or in our financial security. And it may be precisely in that place the Lord touches our lives and He says, You must decrease in order for me to increase. If Jesus is in fact the center of our lives, including the ministry of the church of Jesus Christ, let me share with you this very hopeful truth. If this has seemed a little somber to you this morning, this is where that tone changes. Because the more I have thought and reflected on the truth that John the Baptist is giving, the more I see this is not a terrible thing, it is an incredibly good thing. Because if Jesus is the center of ministry, then we do not need to be fearful. We can instead be incredibly expectant of what the Lord will do. If we trust that Jesus is in fact at the heart of the ministry we offer each other, if he is not just the content of that ministry, know that he is working through us to do that ministry, then we are no longer relying on our own strength, our own wisdom, our own power, our own ability to bring it to pass. Instead, we focus on the love of Christ and a willingness to be useful to him in whatever way he calls even if it requires us to be disappointed in the process of that calling. I come knowing in my own life that Jesus can work even when I am not as strong as I believe I need to be. It means that we can see ourselves, friends, as part of God's greater work, not just what we see in front of us, but what God is doing in the world as a whole. We can see that the work of Jesus Christ is greater than even we might perceive if we lived a hundred years. His kingdom is coming. His power on display in places that are unexpected and even perhaps disappointing to us. As I speak these words to you this morning, I think about a couple of things that I would desire for you to pray for in response to the sermon. Really three things. The first is an easy one. It only requires you to remember what's going to happen on January 23rd. Please pray for that conference. 
The second and third thing are more difficult because it connects with our hearts. Would you also pray that God would give us the grace to see that in our ministry in this church, it is all about Jesus. Not our expectations, not first of all our desires. It is about the ministry of Jesus Christ that we rejoice in the increases and we do rejoice in the increases. But we can also rejoice in the decreases in life as long as Jesus is exalted. Would you pray that you can find that to be true? Not just in your own life, but also in the ministry of this church. And third, and this perhaps most of all, would you pray that as a body of Jesus Christ, we would not only give our attention to Jesus as the center of what we do here, but would you also pray that the Lord would show us that in the strength of Jesus, in His power, His way, His will, His timing, He has so much more planned for this body and Christian ministry than we could ever imagine. You see, the key to John's words is not the disappointment. It is the exaltation of Jesus. Which means that when I speak to you, this to you, it is not with sadness or with resignation or even regret. It is rather with the fullest confidence I could imagine. That in every area of life, but especially the ministry of this body, we can rejoice in whatever our Savior Jesus is doing. Would you bow with me? Father, I confess to you as we read these words that they are somewhat difficult words for us to believe. We want to see our own ministries succeed. We want to see our lives succeed. We want to see the things that matter most to us flourish. And Father, we praise you for the places in which we can see in this body and in our own lives exactly that occurring. But we also can rejoice in this moment, along with John the Baptist, that there are places in which our lives, in the ministry of this church, where we see challenges and difficulties, help us to see them not with fear or anxiety, but with confidence that our God, who gives everything from heaven, is also to work in the places that we find difficult. Father, I praise you as I have praised, praised you many times for this body of believers. I praise you for the church of Jesus Christ as it is found in this community and across the world. And even in times in which we may think the church is struggling, Lord, the confidence of Jesus Christ leads us to praise you that you are King of the church and Lord of lords. And you will do as Jesus said even more than we could ask or imagine according to the power that is at work. And so we pray, Lord, that that is exactly what would occur. That we would see that Christ is coming and his kingdom is here. And we pray that you would give us the joy of seeing it in many, many places and more than we might even imagine. For we ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen. I am so thankful to sing with you now these words, Cornerstone. Would you stand and sing with me?
Receive this blessing from your God as you leave worship. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.